I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, is universal basic income the answer to the Bay Area's biggest problems? Reporter Jason Fagoni is here. He wrote a story envisioning what $1,000 a month cash would mean for one local community that's been left behind by racism and segregation. The story is part of Throughline, a nine-week project by The Chronicle that explores the Bay Area's post-pandemic future. For all of the Throughline articles, go to sfchronicle.com slash throughline and check out the special sections that are running each Sunday. Jason, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Damien. So Jason, really fascinating story uh, that you just wrote. It's about universal basic income, which has been I think a little more well understood with Andrew Yang talking about it, um, AOC. What is basic income? You compare, you compare it to a monopoly game. Right. Everyone knows the board game Monopoly. You start playing with some money. You start out with $1,500, right? And everyone gets the same amount. And what you do with it is up to you. You spend it, you keep it, you lose it, you make more of it. Um, and it's the same with the universal basic income. Essentially, it's a it's a paycheck from the government um, every month, and it's universal, which means that everyone gets it, whether you're rich or poor or in between. Um, it's basic, meaning that it provides a floor, but not a luxurious existence. It's just enough um, to get you to the poverty poverty line, and it's paid in cash. So it's not like other benefits, uh, like food stamps, where you have to use them in a certain way. Um, it's cash, so you can do whatever you like. So people have been talking about it in terms of the pandemic lately. Um, it also right, has some resemblance to payments that are coming out of the stimulus package. Um, but it goes back quite a bit. Where does the idea come from? Who's promoting it and why? Right. So so thinkers, philosophers have talked about some kind of a guaranteed income for hundreds of years, as far back as Thomas Paine, um, Martin Luther King Jr. in 1967, in his last book, um, promoted the idea of a guaranteed income heavily, um, saying that it would uh, bring people out of poverty and bring dignity uh, to those who had been oppressed. Um, in Europe in the 1970s, it, it was seized on by people who wanted to expand Europe's um, existing social safety net. And there have been some sort of right-wingers, libertarians and conservatives in America who have seen a universal basic income as a way of um, actually reducing the safety net by, by replacing existing uh, government benefit programs like social security with these guaranteed cash payments. Um, I think most people are familiar with UBI because of uh, the Andrew Yang presidential campaign, as, as you mentioned, brought a lot of notoriety to, to the idea. Uh, Yang and, and other people from the tech industry like Elon Musk and Bill Gates have talked about um, a basic income as, as a way of essentially avoiding a dystopian future where robots take um, millions of jobs and there's the danger of massive societal unrest because people don't have work and can't can't feed themselves. Uh, so, so, you know, and this was my impression of UBI, by the way, going into this story. I, when I had heard about it, I'd, I'd heard about it in that context of kind of avoiding a robot apocalypse, right? But I think more recently, um, it's been promoted uh, by a wide range of people as not, not as a way of avoiding a, a dystopian future, but a, a way of making things fairer 
um, in America right now and bringing relief to people who really need it. So there have been, you know, feminist thinkers from the beginning have talked about a UBI as a way of compensating um, work that's performed by women that is often uncompensated, unfairly work like childcare, um, people who study uh, labor markets and low-wage workers say that it could increase um, sort of the bargaining power of people who are stuck in bad jobs or minimum wage jobs uh, because with a basic income as a backstop, they could they could press for better pay and better conditions. And 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 recently, there have been a lot of uh, people talking about UBI uh, in the context of the pandemic as something that can sustain people through uh, an unexpected sort of society-wide cat- catastrophe or emergency. Uh, you mentioned the the stimulus payments; uh, those have been those have been really essential for a lot of people um, to just sort of stay afloat during the pandemic as as it shuts down uh, large parts of the economy and leaves, uh, tens of millions without work. These, these stimulus payments and weekly unemployment bonuses, um, have been essential, uh, for, for actually preventing poverty from, from rising in the country. Um, so there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things that a UBI could conceivably do. Um, and, and a lot of, of, of those experiments are happening. And a lot of that thinking is happening in the Bay area. Yeah, and, and and why in the Bay Area? I mean, is it is it because of the great disparities that we have? I mean, you mentioned automation, and we're sort of the center of that. Or, or does it go further back than that? Yeah, I think that's one reason. I think a lot a lot of the, the tech leaders who've seized on UVI um, are 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 from here. Um, there's also one of the largest and most influential pilot programs uh, on UVI that's based in the, in 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 this region in the city of Stockton. Um, so since February 2019, um, Stockton's uh, government leaders have raised money from philanthropists and have been distributing $500 a month to 125 residents chosen for this uh, demonstration program. And um, there are similar pilot projects in, in other parts of the country and the world. There's one launching in Oakland, uh, funded by Y Combinator. There's a, a, a demonstration project in, in Mississippi. And there are other cities that are, are launching pilot projects of their own. Los Angeles, Newark, New Jersey, Atlanta, Pittsburgh. Um, but one of, the, one of the big leaders is the mayor of, uh, of Stockton, who started this demonstration project, uh, Michael Tubbs. He's the first black mayor of Stockton. And uh, he said that he was inspired by Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1967 book, where, where King talked about the benefits of a guaranteed income. Um, and the, the results from the Stockton uh, experiment have, have been pretty striking. You know, residents who, who get this money every month uh, say that it's, that it's really life-changing. It, it's, it's $500. It's, it's, not enough to, um, it's not enough to completely transform everybody's life, but, uh, but it's enough to pay for a lot of basic things that, that people are not able to pay for without it and, uh, and to really start to make life better in a lot of small and, and significant ways. Well, thinking of Stockton, you mentioned that 125 residents were getting it, right? I mean, why not just give it to people who need it and why give it to everyone? So one of the big arguments for the universal aspect of universal basic income is that by giving it to everybody, you would start to eliminate uh, uh, the social stigma against people who receive government assistance. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the big problems in America, one of the big barriers to, to people getting what they need uh, is that is that people who receive assistance are scorned as um, you know as as less than than other people, right? Um, 
the the terminology of welfare queens and whatnot. Um, if if everybody is receiving the money, then uh, then everybody is in the same shoes. So so the idea is that uh, if the payment is universal, then people will start to view assistance uh, less through a moral lens, less as a way to stigmatize and look down upon their fellow Americans, and will view it more practically instead. Um, and that's the hope anyway. And there's some evidence from, uh, from earlier experiments that, that that kind of dynamic does start to happen and actually does change the way uh, that people relate to each other in, in some sense. Well, let's talk about cost. Um, in writing about it in, in your piece, you talk about not only the cost of what it would take to do it, but also, yeah, I don't know if you would term it this way, but, but there may be some savings in the sense that, um, that policies that are very brutal in the United States also carry a cost. Right. So uh, the cost of a national basic income program unquestionably would, would be high. Um, if, if you gave $1,000 to every American adult, it would approach $4 trillion a year, which is a lot of money. Um, and there are, there, are, there are good estimates on, on the cost in uh, a terrific book written by a Bay Area writer, Annie Lowry, uh, a book called Give People Money, which really explores um, the idea of a UBI and, and kind of games it out in depth. So, uh, so I recommend that book to anybody who wants to learn more about, about a UBI. Um, but Lowry estimates that depending on how a, a program is configured, um, the total cost could, could be anywhere from $1 trillion to $4 trillion a year, and it could be funded um, with you know, any number of, of, uh, taxes that you could, could imagine possibly passing, uh, through, through, uh, you know, through a, con uh, Congress as it may be configured after the November election. So, um, at, even though a UBI is, is a costly thing, people who, who say it's a good idea argue that it would end up actually saving money in many ways because, um, you know, American society as currently configured uh, is is wasting money in, in self defeating ways. For instance, um, America has a, a very high level of child poverty compared to other developed countries. Um, you know, sixteen some sixteen percent of kids are living in poverty in this country, and that carries an enormous cost. Uh, economists have estimated it anywhere from seven hundred billion dollars to one trillion dollars a year in lost economic productivity just because so many kids are living in poverty living in stress and unable to achieve and um you know one thing lowry uh, told me is that you know this is bad for everybody right it's it's obviously bad for kids living in poverty but it's bad for everybody because you want kids to be achieving uh, their full potential and when they don't uh, the entire economy takes a hit um, so the, so the argument is that if, if we start to provide cash payments to people, it actually, um, it actually ends up making the economy more productive in a way that, that, uh, produces wide, uh, wide gains. All right, Jason, let's take a break. I'm Damian Bolwa. This is the fifth and mission podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back. You're listening to fifth and mission. I'm managing editor Damian Bolwa joined by reporter Jason Fagoni, who's written a piece about universal basic income and looking at whether that would solve some of the Bay Area's problems. Jason, thanks again for joining me. Um, I want to talk about your look at this uh, issue through the lens of people in the Bay Area and, sure. and particularly communities in, in Marin County. But first, um, 
Who are Stephen McKee and Gabriela Canales? Yeah, uh, uh, Stephen and Gabriela are a couple in their 20s. They live in the Mission District. Um, McKee is a cryptocurrency expert, and he's one of the few uh, black venture capitalists in, in the region. He leads his own fund. And uh, uh, Canales is a doctoral student studying cell biology at UC San Francisco. Uh, she's from a Mexican-American family. And I, I wanted to talk to them because they're both huge believers in a UBI. Um, and I think one of the things that, uh, that appeals to them about a UBI is that, you know, as opposed to other kinds of, uh, of policy ideas, it's, it's not really intended as a band-aid. There's something that's a little more pervasive or a little more radical about it um, and, and a little more grassroots too because these cash payments sort of create uh, uh, benefits that bubble up from the ground because you're giving people cash. So, so McKee talked to me about how he, he grew up poor um, in South Carolina and Virginia and when he first arrived in the Bay Area, um, he really struggled just to afford groceries while, you know, people who had family wealth um, seemed to, to get ahead much more easily. Um, uh, Canales, you know, told me that half of her graduate student stipend at UCSF is eaten up by rent. But uh, even, even though that's the case, she's still better off than um, a lot of her fellow students who, who have these large debt loads from paying tuition. Um, and she said, you know, a, a lot of her friends, they're unable to catch up unless something miraculous happens to them. Um, and so they think that a UBI could really boost uh, representation of underrepresented groups. It could increase diversity in the tech industry uh, by giving people a little bit more of a backstop and allowing them to survive um, in, a, in an extremely high cost area like, like the Bay Area. And at institutions like UCSF, um, you know, it could give people from underrepresented groups a little bit more flexibility and breathing room. Um, you know, it, it would make it possible for you to, 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 to come to the Bay Area and, and fail and fall and, and still have some kind of a, a safety net. Um, and, and also, you know, when the world throws something unexpected at you, like, like this virus, you may actually really need the money. So, 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 you know, McKee and Canales to me were uh, were young people who had really who had really taken to this idea based on you know things that they had observed in their own lives, people around them, and um, and they and they see how it could sort of transform powerfully some of some of the dynamics that uh, that really need changing. But it really does sort of make me want to ask about the thousand dollars. The Bay Area has incredibly high home prices and rent and other costs associated with it. Is that enough here? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really good question. It kind of cuts both ways. Uh, as an argument against a UBI, um, I, I mean, you could ask, like, how how could even a thousand dollars a month ever make a dent um, in in the Bay Area when the median rent for a one bedroom apartment is three thousand three hundred dollars in in San Francisco, right? And and if you if you are somebody who doesn't have health insurance, you know, health health insurance premiums are incredibly high in America. Like we have a, we have a totally broken health healthcare system fundamentally, no question, just broken. Um, so the things that suck about America broadly could end up eating, <laughs> eating some of these, some of these cash payments. Right. Uh, so one, one, one guy I talked to, um, a Los Angeles writer, Manu Sadia pointed out that, um, because these payments are universal, rich people get them too. And maybe rich people, um, just take that payment and, and invest it. Whereas, you know, people who are, are poorer or middle class would have to spend their cash payment on, on rent and healthcare. It would end up being kind of a wash. But I also think that, you know, 
there's another side of uh, of this when you look at people who are who are really struggling at, even a smaller amount of money than a thousand dollars a month uh, uh, does a lot like like in the stocking example when 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 you look at what people say about how that money changes their lives it's it's something very powerful um it, it actually is a big deal even five hundred dollars and and if you had a, a ubi that was a thousand dollars a month uh per adult you know it could actually be two thousand dollars a month because for for a couple you know a lot of people who are who are married or are, are, are living together are, are couples two thousand dollars a month and then and then you can really start to see how how that money could could have some powerful impacts in people's lives sure well let's go out to marin county jason you've spent a lot of time in marin city um that's just over the golden gate bridge um a, a, a place that's seen real inequities um uh, and is right a couple miles from some of the ritziest neighborhoods in the bay area um why did you choose marin city as a kind of thought experiment into what basic income would do right so i think one of the big questions of the story is what would a basic income do at the level of a community or or a city not just looking at it uh, and how it would impact individual lives, but how would it, how would it change a bigger community? And um, I thought it was interesting to look at Marin City because uh, because it has been s- sort of so so passed by by much of the wealth generation in, in this uh, in this area over the last decades. It, it's an it's an unusual uh, history in Marin City. It was created from scratch during World War II uh, in 1942. By liberals and leftists who who really believed in in racial diversity, and they kind of formed an alliance with industrialists, with wartime industrialists who needed a lot of labor. They needed black labor, and so during this you know uh, surge of wartime construction in 1942 after Pearl Harbor, uh, the U.S. government built a shipmaking facility called Marin Ship on the waterfront in Sausalito. Uh, and then they carved out uh, hundreds of acres to the northwest, and they and they put houses there for the employees, and and that was the creation of Marin City. And within two years, you know, sixty five hundred people were living there, and ten um, percent of the residents were black because the people who designed Marin City um, designed it to be colorblind. And what happened was over the next decades, sort of the systemic racism of the region and America um, caught up and it erased that 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 equality. So. You know, redlining um, depressed home values in Marin City and limited the mobility of Black families. Um, there were re- restrictive covenants on homes that that prevented uh, uh, developers from from selling homes to to Black people in areas surrounding uh, uh, Marin City. And some of those covenants are still in place today, by the way. And so there was there was just uh, uh, pervasive underinvestment in Marin City, and while you know, many areas in the surrounding county were were uh, benefited from you know the tech industry wealth. Marin City was passed by, and, and today uh, the poverty rate in Marin City is is twenty two percent compared with you know five percent in in Sausalito or five percent in in Mill Valley. All right, so you you're out there and you spend a lot of time with Paul Austin. Uh, who is he? Yeah, uh, Paul, Paul was somebody who who helped me understand some of the challenges uh, in in Marin City and some of the opportunities. Pa- Paul is a 44 year old nonprofit leader and youth sports coach, and he has uh, very deep roots in Marin City. His grandparents worked in the shipyard. Um, his fa- his 
one of his grandfathers was actually uh, one of the first black homeowners in in Mill Valley. He he branched from the shipyard into home building, uh, and built his family house in Mill Valley. And he ha- he had to do it sort of secretly, uh, so that you know white residents in Mill Valley wouldn't find out that a, a black uh, family was moving in. Um, Paul's mother lived in Marin City. Was an activist there. Uh, he grew up in Marin City. He went to uh, Tamil Pius High a few years after Tupac Shakur did. And he still lives in Marin City with his wife and two kids. Um, and he runs a nonprofit called uh, Play Marin, uh, which he founded three years ago to to organize uh, youth sports leagues uh, in the city. And so, so, so he has a lot of interaction uh, with kids there, um, some kids from families that are really struggling. And he's watched over the decades as uh, wealth from the Bay Area has has really you know washed over so many other parts of Marin County, but but has not landed in Marin City. Um, and and so uh, you know we started we started by uh, talking about the rec center, the rec center in Marin City where he runs most of his leagues. I mean, it's a really good example of the disparity. Um, you know, they did, they weren't even able to have home basketball games at the Marin City Rec Center um, for years because the court was too small. The three point line was right next to the sidelines. So you couldn't really shoot a, a proper three pointer. Um, but then, you know, Paul would drive drive his um, his kids and the teams to rec centers in, in other Marin City locations, and they would, you know, they would have rec centers that were uh, that were new and you know and uh, and roomy. So Paul has been talking for years about. Uh, how Marin City has has gone without investment, and and other parts of Marin County have gotten that investment, and um, he helped me think through and game out the the impact of a universal base, basic income on Marin City, how how it had actually um, uh, changed people's lives, and how how might it change the community going forward. All right, so talking to talking to Paul and and talking to people there. What did you come to? I mean, is there a way of, of figuring out how it would affect Marin City? How much can we know? Yeah, I mean, this is this is speculative because there aren't a lot of apples to apples comparisons. It, it turns out that you know, most of the experiments that have been done with UBI, um, definitely in America, are are small scale, right? They 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 give a, a basic income to a few dozen or a few hundred people at a time, not anything at the level of a whole community or a city. So you do have to speculate, but there, there are there are some past examples where um, where entire towns have received an income, and, and you can kind of start to imagine what would happen. So, so the one thing that that uh, Paul told me is that um, you know his his first reaction to to thinking about two thousand dollars for every every uh, adult couple is that you set the money aside for your kids, you you help them get ahead a little bit. Um, but then, uh, then he, he started to think of all of these other ways that it could impact people in Marin City. So, so, so one is, uh, teachers and people who work in schools, you know, full-time teachers would, would really need that money and, and could really use that money because so many teachers in the Bay Area struggled to pay rent here on their low salaries. So that would help. It would also help women who work in the schools as paraprofessional school aides, the uh, people who really keep the schools running, but maybe don't have the time. Uh, or the money to further their own education and become um, certified teachers. They they might be able to pause, uh, uh, get teaching certifications, make more money. You know, there are all kinds of people who, who cook and sell food uh, on the side in the neighborhood. $2,000 a month, you could imagine that that would be seed money to start a, a local eatery, um, which could be important in Marin City because there, it's it's a food desert. The, the only grocery store in Marin City is is in a Target, in, a, in kind of a, a grim shopping center. And then there are all kinds of other 
impacts that you can imagine just on working families who struggle to pay bills. You know, one thing, one thing Paul told me is that so many uh, of the families of, of the kids that he works with, you know, are living check to check and you start to see bills that turn pink for non-payment, you know, and you get used to that. You get used to seeing the lights get turned off and it becomes your norm. Um, but that kind of stress isn't normal in, in wealthier places. You can also imagine that, you know, there might be bigger scale effects. So, so there was this, there was this uh, test that happened in Canada in the 1970s in a rural town called Dauphin. And the government offered a guaranteed income to all 12,500 residents of Dauphin. And there was a political disagreement that ended up stopping the experiment prematurely. But years later, there was this economist, Evelyn Forget. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize if I'm not. But she, um, she rediscovered the data and mined it. And, and she was able to find that, you know, the money in Dauphin um, had some community-wide impacts. It helped more kids complete high school. Uh, it allowed working mothers to take time off when their children were born. And it made people healthier because uh, visits to doctors and mental health providers went down. And at the same time, it didn't seem to... Um, reduce the amount that the primary earners in in dauphin households were working this is one this is one thing that opponents of ubi have have talked about a lot is that um if you give people money if you give people a government paycheck they'll just they'll just quit their jobs or they won't work or they won't tr try to find work um a lot of the, a lot of the evidence gathered in experiments like the dauphin experiment suggests that this is not true that actually people continue to work um but they use the money to improve their lives and their families uh, lives in other ways all right, Jason, let's leave it on that. Thanks again for coming in. A fascinating story, and I really appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thank you, Damon. I appreciate it. To read Jason Fagoni's article on universal basic income, go to sfchronicle.com slash throughline. Thanks to Jason for being our guest today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. 